Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pattern Recognition, a show that seeks to connect the dots that lead to good business decision making. I'm your host, John Hu, current investor at Norwest Venture Partners and former investment banker at Goldman Sachs. This week, we have a very special appearance from Doug Bowden. Doug is the co-founder, president, and COO of Halotop. Founded in 2011, Halotop manufactures the number one health-focused ice cream brand with a low-calorie, low-sugar, and high-protein mix. Now, for those of you who haven't tried Halotop yet, it is an entire pint of ice cream for just 250 calories. Doug himself is a lawyer by training and a Georgetown grad. And to me, one of the most impressive aspects about Doug's tenure at Halotop has been his ability to help scale the business to over $100 million in revenue without raising institutional capital. So in this episode, we'll hear all about Doug's bootstrap mentality, as well as his thoughts on building a differentiated and resonant consumer brand. So why don't we get started? Hey, Doug, how's it going? Hey, it's going well. That's good to hear. It's always fun to speak to the founders behind some of my favorite consumer brands, especially one that's as much of a dietary staple in my life as Halo Top is. So very excited to have a conversation today. Yeah, you got it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Why don't we start off with how you ended up joining the Halo Top team? Sure. Yeah. So my story and Halo Top story kind of intersect with my business partner, Justin Wolverton and I. I mean, when we met, we were both attorneys. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense from attorneys to making ice cream, but that's what happened here. Justin and I met, this would have been in, I moved to LA in October of 2010. Justin and I met shortly after that in a lawyer basketball league. So it was one of these pickup leagues where, you know, after work on, I think it was every Wednesday, uh, we'd get together with, I don't know, another 12 or 15 guys and just run pickup basketball the whole time. So it was uh, not a high level of competition as uh, I'm sure you can imagine with a bunch of lawyers doing it, but it was fun. It was a good way to meet some people and play some ball. So Justin and I met through that, became friends. Neither one of us really was thinking about what's next or or what we're doing. And essentially what happened is I was ready to quit the law firm the day I stepped into it and started thinking about how do I get out of here? I uh, ultimately just made the decision to leave after about a year. And after that, I was actually having a conversation with Justin in Toberman Gym, which is where we used to play. And uh, we were warming up and I told him, you know, I was quitting the law firm. And that's when he told me about Halo Top. It was as simple as he loves ice cream. Uh, He wanted to make a whole pint of ice cream that he didn't hate himself for eating. And the whole Greek yogurt phase and everything like that was going on. So yeah, I was leaving. Justin told me about Halo Top at the time. He actually brought it to market and was in a, a small number of stores in and around LA. And it was really starting to kind of blow up to the point where he needed to, you know, or it's just getting too big for one person. He needed to bring on a business partner. So we started kind of working together, you know, just having conversations. I was, you know, trying to help him think about raising money and how to do that and how to organize the company. And he'd bring me along on sales meetings so I could kind of shadow him and, and I would help out at a trade show or two. And then it just kind of developed into him asking me to join him as his business partner and uh, to really help kind of blow the thing up and launch it and, and get it going nationally. And clearly the business has been a rocket ship since then, where the business cleared $100 million in revenue in 2017. Though, would love to take a step back and talk a little bit about what I like to call the chicken and egg problem, where you've got this new product on your hands and you're starting out and you're going to all these retailers trying to convince them to stock your products, where you'll garner up interest 
But then someone like Whole Foods will come along and say, you know, look, we love the product, but would love to see traction in other retailers first. And every retailer ultimately says the same thing. So how do you go about finding and convincing your first few early adopters to take a chance on this entirely new product? Yeah, it's it's a numbers game is what I would say. And I hit up every single retailer, every single distributor I could find. I was relentless and I just went after all of them. You throw up a hundred shots, you hope a few of them hit, and then you try to build traction from there. And then I would say that in terms of the chicken and the egg thing that you mentioned, though, I mean, I just, we'd hit up distributors and they'd say, go get us accounts. We'd hit up accounts and they'd say, go get distributors. That happens. But I mean, it's their nice way of saying it's not you, it's us. You know, we're just not that into you. If a retailer wants you, they'll activate you at the distributor. If a distributor wants you, they'll activate you without a retailer. It's just about, again, it's a hustle. You just got to get out there and do it. And it's been a ton of fun to watch you guys scale Halo Top and build this really strong consumer brand. But in the same vein of success, you're also seeing a lot of copycat products hit the market, right? So not only do you have private label, but then you also have the Briars and the Ben and Jerry's of the world thinking about, oh, well, what if I offered a low calorie alternative? So my question to you is twofold. Number one being, what do you think Halo Top's brand is? And number two is, how do you think that brand will keep consumers coming back to Halo Top and not some cheaper copycat alternative? Yeah, for sure. So, that, I mean, those are really important questions, but they're also uh, complicated questions. So I'm going to take the second one first. Uh, I think that's easier in terms of why people would still buy Halo Top when now there's, you know, 15 knockoff items out there. I mean, that gets to brand loyalty. And for us, I think it starts with the product. We're a product first brand, a product first company. Our product always needs to win in the marketplace. And I don't mean in sales. I mean with customers. I mean, I want it to be the best tasting product of the direct competitors, um, the best looking product, the best mouthfeel product, the best product nutritionally. That has to remain true. If we ever lose sight of that, then we just become like a clothing brand. And we can't sell iced Eskimos here. I can't sell something I don't believe in. So if our product isn't the best in the market, then we've already lost, in my opinion. So that's number one, and the product has to win. And then number two, it does come down to the brand. And why would people be loyal to your brand other than, you know, hopefully having the best product in the market? We are who we are. It, this kind of gets to what is the brand. You'll hear words like authenticity, genuine. You know, we have fun with it. We don't want to be some cookie cutter. You mentioned Briars and even Ben & Jerry's. I mean, they're, both those brands are owned by Unilever a big multinational, multi-billion conglomerate. And that's the antithesis of Halo Top. That's one of the easiest ways to think about this. Like we are a group of young and hungry entrepreneurs. We want that personality to come through in the brand. We don't want to be stale. We don't want to be vanilla, but we want to engage with the internet. We want to do all those things that human beings do and not be some robots kind of behind a brand or behind a computer copy and pasting cookie cutter responses and things like that. So I think that's the biggest advantage we have over those big companies is that no matter what they do, even if they try to do what we do, I mean, it just comes off as fate. It's a calculated play to, you know, try to make more profit or sell more product. It's not being true to who you are. So I think that's really core to the brand and to what we are. And I hope that comes through in terms of brand loyalty and what we're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, I see myself as a consumer when I pick between a new age brand and a multinational conglomerate, right? And that's very clearly showing up in the numbers where you and the team have seen phenomenal top line growth. 
So one of the questions I have for you is around managing hypergrowth, where oftentimes when a business is growing so rapidly, what you'll find is that there's so much focus on top line growth or employee count is just exploding that a number of underlying systemic issues get covered up. So what are some KPIs and metrics that you track in order to make sure that the business is running healthily? Sure. Another great question. It's been a learning experience for us. I'm not going to lie. We had growing pains. So don't, don't think that we've <laughs> we figured it all out and, and we've got a magic solution. So we've definitely had growing pains. The great thing about growth is it buys you time and money and flexibility to make mistakes so you can learn from them. So in terms of stuff that we put in place and KPIs we look at, it's much easier now as the core business matures. We know that growth is going to come from kind of new products, new markets, new concepts. And then when you look at the core business, you now you try to focus more on the bottom line than the top line, so to speak. But we've learned to kind of manage to a specific margin. If we know we want to have a 15% margin or whatever it is at the end of the year, we can set budgets accordingly. And we can make sure that marketing is only spending XYZ. So, I mean, a lot of it is just kind of the discipline to start doing that, to not, you know, just, hey, here's a million bucks to do whatever you want. It's like, actually, you know, here's your annual budget and we can allocate it quarterly and monthly and all that kind of stuff. But annually, we need to come in at this number if we want to manage to this margin. So I think that's probably been the biggest learning piece for us, which sounds, I know, basic and simple. But like you said, when you're running a million miles an hour and you're trying to put out all these fire drills and make the product fast enough to make sure you're not out of stock and all that kind of stuff, it's pretty easy to lose sight of basic stuff like, you know, managing the business to a margin or whatever it may be. So that's the easiest one. And then, you know, KPIs and marketing, we track brand awareness now. So we make sure we do Millward Brown studies and and we, you know, want to see our brand awareness going up every month or every quarter to make sure our marketing spends are working. And if not, then we got to refine it. We also do, you ever heard of DLX studies, data logics? We partnered with Facebook and some of other partners to do those types of studies to kind of, you know, understand the effectiveness of spends. And it, it's not so much as, you know, it'll tell you exactly how much to spend and where, but at least directionally, you'll know like, hey, this spend is more efficient. You know, we can kind of reallocate or reapportion dollars accordingly. So at the end of the day, it comes down to sales, though. We don't care about impressions. We don't care about clicks. We don't care about getting our names out there. We care about sales. We're a sales-driven company, and if the product's not selling, then I don't care if we have 29 billion impressions, something's not working. So it all comes down to sales for us no matter what. So no matter what brand awareness is, no matter what you know, click-through rates are, impressions are, none of that matters. Those are all indirect ways at trying to increase sales. So we never lose sight of that. And it all comes back to sales. It's admittedly very refreshing to hear you talk about profitability and margins as there's this mantra here in the Valley that in order to build the next billion dollar business, you have to raise a ton of VC funding and burn a lot of cash. But one thing to note though, is that Halotop you and the team have been more or less bootstrapped since the beginning and been incredibly capital efficient. So would love to hear how you guys have experienced this level of hyper growth that even most VC-backed companies don't experience. Sure. I'll just tell you a little bit about what we've done and then I'll try to explain the thought process behind it, I guess. So we did, we bootstrapped it to start. Justin put in six figures. We both ended up putting in God knows how much credit card debt and predatory lender loans. But you're right. We bootstrapped the heck out of this thing for the first year or two. 
we did do two rounds of financing, but it was all friends and family. Uh, we did half a million bucks in September of 2013, and we did a million bucks in September of 2015. And that's the only money we have raised to date, 1.5 million total. We've taken no VC money, no private equity money, nothing like that. That's obviously by design. We laugh about it, you know, whether it's the kind of Silicon Valley startup stereotype or whatever, but they close their series A, B, C, D, E, F, G rounds, and they've raised $100 million for their company. They're still not cash flow positive. They're still not profitable. They've got some ridiculously high employee count and overhead, some ridiculously nice office that they're paying God knows what a year for. And then the founders own, what, 2%, if that, of the company. So for us, that was just, that just didn't make sense. And we said, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be a more efficient way to do this. And it really, cash is gold. So you're not going to be profitable from the start. You're not going to be cash flow positive. So when you raise money, you say, look, I've got 12 months of runway, 15 months, 18 months, whatever it is. Then I either have to fold the business or raise more money. And so for us, we managed every single dollar we spent. We like to say, look, if we're going to spend this dollar, can we objectively prove to ourselves or at least to a confidence level that we're comfortable with that it's going to generate more than a dollar on the back end? And we weren't right in half of our decisions. So please don't get me wrong that, like I said, we have all the answers. We made a ton of mistakes. And you know, knowing what we know now, I think we could accelerate our growth even more quickly if we could go back and not make some of the decisions we made back in the day. But a lot of it came down to shirking the conventional wisdom. We talked to so many people that laughed at us when we kept saying, hey, if this thing goes the way we want it to go, why would we need venture capital or private equity money? And we'd get laughed out of the room. We'd be like, of course you need that. You can't do this without that. And we'd be like, but look at these numbers. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Like cash flow from operations could fund growth if, if we do this right. And we got laughed out of the room. Even some of our current investors kind of laughed at us. Yeah, I'm sure they're happy now and it's fun to talk to them, but it's kind of like, look, we just looked at the numbers in the model and said we don't necessarily need that if things go according to plan. And a lot of times they don't. So if they don't go according to plan and you have to raise money, that's not the end of the world. But um, I, I do think there's a way to do it where you pay very close attention to the money you spend. We worked remotely, so we didn't have an office. It was just two of us for the longest time, three if you include my little brother who kind of came on to... um you know, as our grunt, so to speak, early on to to do anything and everything we needed. But we were so lean and mean. It was just two of us. We took small salaries. We'd spend salaries when we needed to. We didn't build out some massive team. We didn't have some big office. Just a lot of the kind of expenses that you probably see, it just weren't expenses to us. We just said that's not necessary, not right now at least, and we're going to do it without it. And it was critical. You're right, because that's not a lot of money and that's not a lot of runway that we had. And so we, we really just have to be careful with it, but it came down to kind of going against the grain, shirking that conventional wisdom and always asking why, like, don't, if somebody says you have to do this, that's not good enough. We're going to say, why do we have to do that? And if their answer is because that's how everybody else does it, that's also not good enough. We're going to say, well, that doesn't matter to us. (laughs) Is this efficient for the company? Is it an efficient use of time and resources? And if the answer is no, then we just weren't going to do it. It was that simple. Yeah, cash is king. And one thing that I will point out is oftentimes founders suffer through dilution because they have this thought process that in order to attract, hire, and retain the best talent, they have to provide the very best workplace and the very best benefits. 
And I think it's worth noting that LinkedIn actually ranked Halotop as the second most coveted startup to work for. So how have you been able to build such a great workplace without burning a lot of cash? Yeah, sure. And again, it's one of the things it's kind of viewed as a badge of honor or something to be proud of and to brag about. I feel like when you raise your series A and your B and your C and you raise all these rounds and you know, it'll be listed in accolades, like has raised X million dollars for their company. For us, it was just like, that means you've deluded yourself. Like, what are you doing? Like, nobody should be clapping for that. Like you should be, (laughs) you should try to raise as little as possible to get to where you need to do. So you can have as much control as possible and you can kind of do things your own way. But it goes hand in hand with what you're saying about kind of the the workforce and the workplace because it allows us to, we don't have a board. It's just Justin and myself. And we can be so nimble and so quick. And again, we do not always make the right decisions. I cannot emphasize that enough. I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that we, you know, we're some wizards behind the curtain who have done everything right. My God, we've made so many mistakes and we've caught so many lucky breaks that there's plenty beyond or outside of our control that, that are responsible for why we're sitting here talking today. But I do think not taking that private equity or VC money has given us the flexibility to create the exact workplace we want, where we, we try to find that balance between accountability, between flexibility, between camaraderie, between efficiency, above all else. We don't want people, we work remotely largely still. We try to bring everybody into the office which is basically a co-working space once a week. So everybody has some in-person time and, you know, we try to do monthly kind of social events. So go, let's go grab dinner. Let's go to happy hour. Like let's actually enjoy working with each other. But at the same time, we have our main office in LA and kind of a satellite office in Chicago. We don't want people wasting hours commuting to and from the office. Like that's just not an efficient use of time. And we think there's a better work-life balance to, working remotely, which isn't for everybody. We get that too. So it's a lot of it is kind of self-serving and you try to find the people who would be drawn to this type of environment and excel in this type of environment. And then we try to, we really have candid dialogues up and down the chain. So it's not what we say goes. Like we actually want to hear, and Margie can attest to this, like we want to know, what do you think? Should we meet once a week? Should we meet twice a week? Should we meet once a month? Should we meet five days a week? Like we, we want to know what do people like? What don't people like? We don't have some board we have to report to and that dictates stuff to us. We get to decide what's best. And that, that's been really, really beneficial to us, I think, in creating what we hope is kind of the dream job that everybody would want and that's been the goal. That's great. And as you know, the name of this podcast is Pattern Recognition. I'm curious if you've observed any sort of patterns across not only Halotop, but also other successful CPG companies. I would say number one is, is work ethic. You've got to have yourself and the people around you uh, just insatiable work ethic. I mean, I'm like, you need animals. Like, you need people who will just go to war nonstop and want it as bad as you do. That cannot be underestimated. I mean, I think the the hardest workers are also the luckiest people. So, anytime you think somebody's lucky in the world, 99% of the time, that person has absolutely worked their ass off. I mean, I think that. Hard work because luck, and I just think it's you're going to need lucky breaks, but if you work your ass off, then those breaks will come. So I'd say that's number one. In terms of, I'm trying to think of something kind of beyond, like specific to the product, the service, the brand, the company. Nothing's immediately coming to mind other than just kind of the obvious stuff. Like, you know, you can't be just another clothing line. We couldn't be just another ice cream. If we came out and we were 
LA ice cream and it was great tasting, you know, full calorie, full fat ice cream. That was like this, you know, beachy LA brand. We're not talking because I mean, that's not differentiated enough. That's just a brand. You're still selling kind of full calorie, full fat ice cream. Like I think the product or the service truly needs to fill a hole in the marketplace. And in our case, the kind of category that we created was this ice cream first and foremost, that actually tastes good. That's actually pretty darn good for you. And that just didn't exist. And if you can execute on that promise, at least in our case, it was, it was mind blowing to people. It'd be like, Oh my God, I can eat the whole pint. Like, I can't believe this exists. I got to tell everybody about it. That, that was kind of the, the viral sensation that we became. So I think that's critical. Like, you know, it's so hard to take the risk to start a company, to stay with the company through the dark times of which we had years and years of. But I think you really have to have the utmost faith and confidence in that product and that service and that concept that it truly is filling a void. Um, if not, it, I would strongly urge the person or the entrepreneur or whoever to kind of wait in, until you do have that product, that service, that concept, because it's just so hard. And even with the best product or the best whatever, and even with the most and the hardest work, the chances of making it are still something on. You still need lucky breaks and, and all this other stuff. So that's probably what I'd say there. So I've got one final question here today, and that is around the future vision for Halo Top. Is it to build the next platform of healthy desserts beyond ice cream? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think we're, we're an ice cream company first and foremost. So you saw late last year, I think it was October, we launched our first non-dairy pint, which was kind of as our first new product line, obviously still adjacent in terms of the category and frozen dessert. You know, there's natural extensions to that. There's other ice cream products that come in kind of different formats that we get a look at. There's other dairy-based products that we can take a look at. But yeah, I think first and foremost, we'll, we'll be an ice cream company. But just like Coca-Cola is a beverage company, I, I think that's the exciting thing to think about. At one point in time, Coke sold one soda beverage, and that was it in the 1920s or whenever on earth Coke started. But now it's Coca-Cola. You know what I mean? Now it's this multi-billion, multinational, like iconic American brand, uh, international brand. And it's really exciting to think about that. Man, if if we can execute, that could be the opportunity in front of us if we don't mess it up. Love the vision. And I look forward to eating more Halo Top desserts. But Doug, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for joining. Yeah, happy to help. Once again, a huge thank you to Doug for joining me today. I am thrilled that next time I decide to eat an entire pint of Halo Top, I'll have a story to go with it. In the meantime, if you enjoyed the show, I'd love if you gave me a quick rating and review as well as send any feedback or guest recommendations my way. You can reach me on Twitter at John Heezy, that's J-O-H-N-H-E-E-Z-Y, or on Instagram at John Jihu, that's J-O-H-N-G-H-U. So thank you all for tuning in, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.